Chris Cordes, an autobiography by me, Chris Cordes. When I was a child, I grew up in Lebanon. I am Greek and Lebanese. When I was five, there was a war in Lebanon and my dad got a really good job with Apple in Dubai. So it was very interesting because we, we got a chance to leave and start our lives again. So we went to Dubai and I was five years old and I went to school. And going there, it was different. I, I wasn't making many friends and I found myself lonely. And when I was around eight, I found myself drawn to boys and I used to like boys and I knew that I was gay I just didn't know what it was so I I kept it to myself and told nobody when I was 10 years old in school I was raped twice by the janitor very brutally raped and I remember him telling me if I tell anyone about this, then he's going to kill me or kill my family. So I started acting up in school so I would get kicked out and go to another school. And it worked. It worked. You know, I tried it and it worked. So I went to another school and then did well. Never told my parents till I was 18. And they told me, why didn't you tell us when you were a kid? And I told them, you wouldn't have believed me if I told you. So when I was 14, we moved to a villa in Dubai. And I saw a girl four years older than me. And she invited me and she was my neighbor. And I found out that she is American and her father is from Kenya and her mother is from South Carolina. So I became friends with them and Liz was her best friend and so Sarah and Liz became my best friends and they would take me out. We would drive, because they were 18, so they could drive. We would drive, have lots of fun, go, go to restaurants and eat. Then I found out that they were born-again Christians. And so they took me to their church, which was fun, and I got to make friends there. And it was interesting and fun and weird at the same time. So... But my favorite thing that I remember from the youth group that I used to go to is our campouts. We used to go in February, we used to go to the desert and camp for two days. And I remember how freezing it was. We used to wear anoraks, like we were in Iceland or something. Because at night, the, the sand would be so freezing, it's like you're touching ice. So we would do pranks on people and we would throw water on them when they're sleeping. A friend of mine um, 
had deep heat with him and he sprayed this guy's back with full deep heat and this guy woke up screaming and shouting. I know that it wasn't, you know, it wasn't funny. But um, looking back at it now, it's a bit funny. So I, I became friends with them and we all went out and things of that nature. Uh, I remember when I was 18, I started smoking. And when I went out of the church to smoke, this guy Rusty told me, you know what, you're going to go to hell because you're smoking. And I was like, that's an extreme reaction to me smoking and you telling me that I'm going to hell. You know, because they believe that the body is the temple of Christ and therefore we should not ruin it. So I it really stuck, you know, it really stayed with me and it stuck and I I was very very hurt very upset by what he said and then I moved on I used to sing in lots of singing competitions and they were so much fun and I used to win them all I had four octaves so Sarah would play the piano and I would sing and I remember singing all of Mariah Carey songs. I remember coming back home from school and watching the Madison Square Garden Mariah Carey concert. I used to be obsessed with it. She made me want to become a singer. And so for Christmas, I sang A Holy Night opera style like uh, Placido Domingo, it was his version. So I sang it in French and in English. And I remember people crying and, and just clapping and they were very, very, very um, amazed by my voice. And yes, when I was 18, it was different because I lost my voice because of over-smoking. And up to this day, I still smoke, and so it's it kind of ruined a career. So when I was 18, I decided to do broadcasting. So my dad and I found a school in, in Vancouver, Canada. It's called Columbia Academy. And I went there. It was like 16-hour flight. So I went there and people were nice to me. I didn't make a lot of friends there, just two friends. It was Bev, Beverly B, and, and also um, Trish and Marie Bernard. So we became very good friends and I just enjoyed their company. They they got me my first radio gig. It was in East Hastings, I remember. CFRO radio. East Hastings is the most dangerous place in Vancouver. And so she said, don't wear any watches. Don't wear any anything that 
makes you stand out. So I used to wear this hoodie and walk straight and walk fast. And the radio station was basically all glass. Um, but then she told me it's bulletproof because they don't want people shooting and coming in for money because they're known for drugs there. So we would start at around midnight. So she would go to Wendy's and buy lots of food and pick me up and we would eat there and have fun and play radio. It was really fun and interesting. From then on, I got I got more gigs. I, I, I worked for MTV Music and I did lots of other stuff. So one, one afternoon I was reading a book. It was a self-help book. And it just gave me confidence. So I went to the most popular gay nightclub and it was called The Odyssey. I saw this guy, I liked him and I was dancing to, to remember the song. It was Intuition by Jewel, but it was remixed. It was more techno and I was dancing and singing to it. And I kept on looking at him in his eyes. I kind of mesmerized him, bedazzled him. And he kept on coming closer and closer and closer. And then we started talking. Then it went to hugging and kissing. And, and then we had one night stand and went to McDonald's after that and talked. So that was my first experience with having sex. The, the next one was, there were no apps back then and things of that nature. There were just um, a hotline that you call and then you meet, you meet someone on the phone and if it clicks, you, you, you tell them where you live and then you meet up. So I met this guy. He's older. He was in his 50s, but George, George Clooney looking. And it was interesting, also another sexual experience. And I started singing in nightclubs. And when I was there, I, um, I knew that there was someone following me. And <clears throat> I just didn't know who it was. I just knew that they were following me. So I went to sleep and at 3 a.m. the security lights came out. So I look at my, I can only see the shadow because the curtains were light beige. So you can, you can see if there's a shadow. I see a guy with a cap and then I see a red light. So I just get up and I go to my roommate Bernardo and I tell him there's someone outside my window. So we forgot about that and then he would come every night doing the same thing. And one night he came again and I saw this red thing. I wanted to know what it was. And I looked at it 
I opened the windows and I saw him. I couldn't see his face because his eyes were on a camera. He was filming me. He was wearing a red cap and he was filming me. And I got really scared. Now we called the police and we told them everything. They came. Four police cars came in quickly and we told them what happened. They said, unfortunately, if he hasn't caused harm or hasn't threatened you, there's nothing we can do. So the stalking continued and one day I saw a hand inside my house, inside from the window, inside the house. And so I, I freaked out, called Bernardo again. We called the police. Again, there was nothing they could do, but they said we're going to leave a police car at the house for two days. So for two days, he never came. He knew they would be there. I don't know how he knew, but he knew they would be there. And one night when they were not there anymore, I came back home and the door outside was spray painted in red and it said, you're mine. So we called the police and we said, look, this is an act of vandalism and invasion of privacy and all of that. They said, yes, we're taking that seriously now and we're going to monitor everything. A week later, I had graduated, and and so, so I never really knew what happened. But when I called Bernardo, when I had moved on, he he told me that they caught him, they caught him and put him in jail for six months, and then they released him. So much for counting on the cops. So I was gone by then, so it didn't really bother me. I told bye, you know, I said goodbye to my friends, to Bev, to everyone. And, and I just remember going out with Marie. We would go to these crazy parties where everybody would be smoking weed, and I tried it with a bong. And then we would go at 4 or 5 o'clock in the morning to Denny's. Denny's is, a, is an American restaurant chain that's in Canada and Vancouver. It's 24-hour diner. So I would order uh, a chicken salad with honey mustard. Their honey mustard is divine. It's delicious. So we would go there and um, eat and have fun and talk. And then I, sometimes I would sleep at her house. I would sleep on the couch. And then she would sleep in her room. And um, she was a good friend of mine. And I really miss her. So it was time for me to say goodbye to Vancouver. And I moved to London. And did some radio work there. No TV, but... Um, I did freelance commentator. I was a commentator on many shows. And I made friends with my roommate, who is Japanese. Her dad was a millionaire, and 
you know, my family is very wealthy too. So we used to go to the Mandarin Oriental every afternoon at four o'clock. It's in Knightsbridge, opposite Harrods. So we would go there and have afternoon tea. It would cost about 60 pounds. So we would have the full afternoon tea, which means coffee or tea. I would have a soy latte with champagne. And then they would bring a tray, three trays on top of each other. They would be bagels with salmon, sandwiches and cakes. So um, it was really fun. And then we would go to the Dorchester Hotel and have drinks. And almost every night we would eat at Nobu. Nobu is a very popular Japanese sushi restaurant. So we would go there and eat and spend 200 to 300 pounds there. We would go a, a lot to Sloan Street, which is behind Harrods. We would go to Dolce & Gabbana and buy so many stuff. So I lived a good life, you know. It was interesting for me. And I enjoyed it. It was fun. I never had a boyfriend in my life. And in England, I never found anybody. I went to a gay bar once and I, it was a Madonna song that I really liked and I started dancing to it. And this guy was like a drag queen sort of a thing. He, he told me, who do you think you are? Who do you think you are dancing like this? And at first I was like, why is he being so hostile? Why is he being mean? And then he said, can you buy me a drink? All that so I could buy him a drink. I, says, I said to him, excuse me, I don't even know you. I'm going to buy you a drink. He said, yeah, yeah, you're right. Let, let's talk first. So we talked and he was very weird. And I bought him a drink and he left. So he just came for a free drink. And so I went on to Covent Garden, which is my favorite place in central London. And I started discovering that there were a lot of esoteric shops. Um, I would go to restaurants there first because my favorite restaurant is Orso or so in Covent Garden and Lindsay Lohan would always go to Orso. So I decided to walk straight after Orso. I walked straight and something told me go right and I went right and there was an esoteric shop. I had never seen it before, never been in one and there was this woman and she had all these these vases, vases, whatever you want to call them, that were, they would look like a vase, but then they would finish with a bottle cap ending to it. I don't know what you call these kind of bottles. Anyway, so inside there would be different colors. One was Florida water, one was different things. I said, what are those? She said, these are potions that are made by uh, an African-American woman from Louisiana who is the hoodoo queen. So I said, that's interesting. So I, I bought 
money uh, bottle and Florida water. She said, you need Florida water to cleanse the negative spirits from you. So I did that and then I did the money one. So what you do is you, you just take it and you just throw it on yourself in the shower. So then I, I did that. I, uh, I thought so good. And my landlord, he invited me that night for, for his, his daughter's birthday. And I smelled like fl Florida water. I smelled like Florida water. And then she came and gave me a big hug. You know, she usually just says hi, but she gave me a huge hug. And I don't know what it was. Maybe the Florida water was drawn to her or something. But I felt her taking away part of me from that Florida water. It was a very weird sensation. And so we had a good party, a good dinner. And then I moved on to another place in Chelsea. The landlord was a woman. Uh, her name is uh, Madame Renard. She's French. And she, every weekend she would go to France driving to buy cigarettes because they're so expensive in London. In London, I, I was not poor. I was not so rich, but I used to smoke Mayfair's. Mayfair's were my favorite. They were about five pounds or four and a half pounds. I'm not sure. And um, although I love Dunhill, Dunhill is very good too. And so she would get all these French cheeses. She got the Spanish cheese that I really, really enjoyed. She had a party that night and she said, come, why don't you come? And I almost finished that cheese. It, it tasted like a mixture of Parmesan cheese with cheddar. And it was an orange, orange uh, cheese, Spanish cheese. And I was so drawn to that. I said, where did you get this cheese? I want to buy it. She said, we can't find it here in London. And she had a big Rottweiler. But this Rottweiler was a little teddy bear. He was so sweet and kind. But one day, I was alone in the house and I was making a sandwich. And he came to me. He started barking, but then like growling at me. Like he was about to attack me. So I took a slice of turkey and I threw it on the floor. And he ate it and then left. I really think that if I hadn't thrown him a piece of meat, he would have bitten me. I don't know why. So then I, I was interested in acting. And my dad um, enrolled me in this school. But you have to do a video first for them to accept you. And it was... A mixture of Alexander. I did a scene of the movie Alexander. And a scene of the others with Nicole Kidman. And I aced it. They, they accepted me directly. 
but I didn't want to go anymore. I don't know why, I just didn't want to go. Um, so I went back to Dubai after that and started working on TV and things like that, part-time shows. Uh, interviews when celebrities would come, I would interview them. In 2014, September 24th, Lady Gaga came to Dubai and I interviewed her in the VIP room of the airport. She was wearing a beautiful, beautiful gown and a sapphire tiara made by a local designer. And it was fun and then we went on to the concert and she did amazing. She was really good live. She never lip syncs. And I really enjoyed the interview and the concert. So I then went on to do a lot of internet shows on Blog Talk Radio, iHeart Radio, and, and had my own show on iTunes. So that was good and I was making money interviewing celebrities and writers and things of that nature and that was very fun and good and I wish to do more. I wish to have my own TV talk show. That would be nice to have and I'm working on that right now and I have always wanted to have my own perfume line. And I spoke to many companies and they said, uh, you know, to, to have a big perfume line, you have to be really, really famous. And I found out that um, all these celebrities like Britney Spears, Mariah Carey, and all of them, um, all their perfumes are made by Elizabeth Arden. And I spoke to Elizabeth Arden and they said, you know, you have to be really, really famous for us to do it for you. And I had such an amazing perfume in, in my mind, a mixture of patchouli and vanilla and other ingredients which I don't want to share because I might do this perfume. That was, you know, so it can smell like me, you know, so people can have a part of me. My feeling of what I wanted to smell like. Yeah, so hopefully one day I'll have a perfume line. You know, looking back, you know, seeing my brother and my sister have girlfriends and boyfriends and me being alone really affected me. Till now, I don't have a boyfriend. I've, I've had many one-night stands, but I've never had a boyfriend before. So for me, something is missing. I, you know, I need true love. I need to find a soulmate. So I'm wishing on that and praying on that. And if it's meant to be, it's meant to be. If it's not, it's not. So I remember when I was 25, 
24, sorry, I, um, I bought a pug, and this pug was amazing. He really f filled that hole inside of me. He, they're so playful pugs, you know. They call them the clown dogs because they like to entertain their masters. But this one was really crazy. He would poop seven times a day in my room. Even though I opened the garden, I, I let him out, he would never poop outside. He would come back in and poop. So what I would do is I would feed him then put him four to five hours in the garden and still he would never poop. He would come back in and poop inside. So imagine cleaning seven times a day the poop. We had a maid, but my mom says you're responsible for your dog. And, you know, so I, I had to clean up everything. And every time he tried to run away from the house, so one day he ran away and I told my dad that he ran after him and my dad was like a football player. He jumped on him and tackled him and caught him. We then decided it was time for us to give him to somebody. So I put an ad, I don't know where I put an ad and we got so many calls and there was this family uh, a Jordanian man and a British wife who had three kids. So we sold King, which was the pug. We sold King to them. And uh, so they took him. But for five years after we sold the dog, people were still calling my mom every day asking him, do you still have the pug? We want the pug. I thought that advertising site had an expiry date on ads. Well, it didn't. That ad stayed and it's still there. So, yes, yeah, so, and growing up, I had a dog called Bonnie. And he was a, a black curly poodle who was so sweet and kind and so... He obeyed my dad really well. And he would never run away. He would never do anything stupid. He was very clever, very loyal. My dad wouldn't even put him on a leash. He would open the gate of, of the house. And, and Bonnie would be sitting down waiting for him, waiting for the command word from my dad. And my dad would say, go! And then... And then Bonnie would run and go and poop and pee and come back. He would come back directly to the house, barking, wanting to come in. That was a very clever dog. But I never appreciated him because I've always wanted a guard dog. You know, I've always wanted a German Shepherd. And so did my dad. We, w we bought a German Shepherd once before in a place called Satwa in, in Dubai. And they would all be selling sick dogs. They would feed them rats and other things like that. So we bought the dog and after two days he died. From then on, they, the, the municipality and the people there decided 
to tell people never to buy dogs from Satwa. So we never did and they stopped selling dogs there. So the best place was to go and buy dogs from from re reputed places like in the malls they would have pet shops and things like that. And those were very good quality breeds. But now, you know, being an advocate for PETA and things of that, I don't believe in buying dogs or cats. I think you should get them from a rescue place. There are many animal shelters and dogs that want to be adopted. So I adopted a cat and it was like a Scottish fold mixed with another cat. Her name was Dita. She was very kind, loving, sterilized. She was, uh, yeah, she was spayed. And um, very quiet and also very boring. So I gave her away. And I kept on doing other radio shows and TV and lots of internet shows I've done. And it was interesting. When I was 25 years old, I decided to go on a trip to Bali. So I, um, I went to the airport and I, I was waiting for the plane and half an hour passed and I, I went to the steward and I asked him um, what, where, what happened to the plane? Why, why is it not here? And I made a joke. I said, is something wrong with the plane? I hope it doesn't crash. And he said, you cannot say the word crash, you can go to jail. And I took it so literally and I was scared and I was shivering. I didn't know what was happening to me. And he took my passport and gave it back to me. But when I was in the airplane, I was hallucinating. I was imagining police officers beating me up hitting me, you know, abusing me and things like that. I, I was not feeling good. I was feeling, I was hallucinating. And when I arrived in beautiful Bali, I was not even enjoying it. I stayed in the most beautiful resort there ever. And after two days, I came back. I, I couldn't stay. And I told my mom everything and and I said to her, you know what, I think we need to see a, a psychiatrist, something is wrong with me. So we went to a psychiatrist and she, she was very reputed, she studied in Austria and she diagnosed me, uh, she said I had schizoaffective disorder. That means it's a mixture between bipolar and schizophrenia. And so the drama begins. 
I started not feeling good. We started changing medication to see what works, what doesn't work. It didn't really work. So then I moved to Lebanon and I got put on another medication that didn't work. Came back to Dubai. And then I found in a movie there was this antipsychotic medication called Zyprexa. And I asked the doctor, can we try Zyprexa? Maybe that will work. And it did. It worked. That was the medication. Doesn't mean that I, you know, I didn't have troubles. I still did, but it helped me. Then later on, I, I started getting post-traumatic stress, and I think that was from when I was abused as a child. So I needed a benzodiapine, and the strongest one is clonopin. It's stronger than Xanax. So I was administered two pills of two milligrams, and the anxiety was gone. I was living better, normal. I could live my life normally, and nothing affected me. So that's the secret that I didn't tell most people. And I just really enjoyed uh, you know, taking those medications because they would really help me out. And, and to this day, I'm still taking them, but lesser dosage because I'm much better now. And I enjoyed traveling more. Um, less scared, less, you know, paranoid thoughts. Then I went on to become an investigative reporter. I was very interested in crime and serial killers. So I, um, I did some digging and searching. And I was in London and... I started writing articles about serial killers, learning about serial killers, and see how their mind works so you can solve the case. To know how to catch a serial killer, you have to think like them. You have to go into their mind and understand. And I did lots of learnings on FBI profiling how to find out if a person is a serial killer. Usually they, they start off very young by killing rabbits or cats or dogs. They enjoy that. And they keep trophies, like they keep the head or they keep a piece of bone under their pillow. That's how they start. And then they go on to something different. They get sick of killing animals. It becomes boring for them. They want control because somewhere in their childhood, their parents were all, or alcoholics or distant. So they start to lose their self-esteem and mostly their confidence. So they feel impotent and they want to feel control. So the the reason behind the killings 
It's not because they do it for fun. Of course they get a high. But they get a high of control. They like seeing the terror in their victim's eyes. This is what gets them off. Control. Some of them it's sexual. Like Ramirez. Ted Bundy also. And also Jeffrey Dahmer. It was all about sexual things mixed with control. I'm not going to go deep into serial killers now. But most serial killers are white male, age 20 to 45. And they're usually very smart. They're very charming. There could be a family. They could be a family man with kids and a wife, like Gacy. And they could be your next-door neighbor, so it's very important. And what I always say in my show is that be careful when you go online. There are a lot of fake accounts on Facebook. People with friend request you. They want to meet you. But in the end, what they want is to kill you. So be very careful about that. Moving on. If you ask me what's my, what's my type in a guy, I would tell you Josh Duhamel. I've always been in love with Josh Duhamel. And um, I know he's straight, but this is the type of guy like also, Josh Groban. So, yeah. For that, that's it for the, you know, love attraction. Back then in Vancouver, I experimented with, with drugs, with Bev. So I, I, I smoked three times only. Marijuana. I found it to be funny in a way, but the third time that I smoked it, I became paranoid. And when they first diagnosed me, they asked me, have you ever taken marijuana? I said, yes. And they said, that could be because the schizophrenia comes because of marijuana. Some people dispute that. I don't know. And twice I've tried ecstasy pills. I didn't enjoy them. They just made me more frustrated. You know, I've been dealing with weight all my life. I think after the abuse when I was 10, I started putting on weight on purpose as a shield so no one would prey on me. And that's an extreme reaction to someone's you know, lust over you. That's an extreme reaction. So, and I, I, I found out and I started reading stories after stories after stories. So many girls and boys putting on weight on purpose just to shield themselves. And I prayed once to God and I said, I said, you are my shield and you are my reward. 
and and I trusted him on that. So I I I started losing weight, but not that much because I had been obese. So I did a gastric sleeve surgery. Difference between gastric sleeve and gastric bypass is the gastric bypass. They they kind of um, they trim down the waist, and you can't absorb food, and all of the medications can't be absorbed. But with a gastric sleeve is that they cut 80% of the stomach and leave the rest. So you, have, so you have a little pouch. And that's what I did. I did the gastric sleeve because I take medication and I needed to get absorbed. So I lost a whopping 30 kilos. And I, I gained it back because I was very depressed. I started drinking lots of alcohol, abusing alcohol, and then I found out I was not even an alcoholic, I was just abusing it. Drinking a bottle a day of vodka, I mean that's crazy. But then doing therapy and other things, I found out that, that the AA meetings I was doing was a waste of time. I was just drinking because I was lonely and feeling frustrated. Now I don't touch alcohol. I don't even have a sip of alcohol. And I don't drink it. I don't want it. And I'm not tempted by it anymore. And when it comes to my, to my health and food, I'm very disciplined in my food right now. I'm very discipline in whatever I put in my mouth. I eat very healthily. I eat lots of raw vegetables, grass-fed beef. Chicken I try to avoid because of all the hormones, all the antibiotics. I eat very healthy and that's why I'm slim now. Not because I did some crazy diet. I want to thank everyone who has helped me throughout these years. From all my entourage in my life, thank you so much. I'm very grateful for everything that I've received in my life. By the grace of God, so many times I could have died and in many extreme issues like car crashes and robbings and being held at knife point and nothing happened to me, which, which is a clear miracle, thanks to God. I'm very grateful for everything in my life. I'm grateful for everyone. I love everyone. We are all one, and we should all love each other and respect each other, and that's the cycle of life. Thank you so much.